Temple 13, North by Gracious Carolina 55. That was your Northrop Grumman Military Bowl final score. And this is your Northrop Grumman Military Bowl postgame podcast on Don't Punt to Geo, a UNC football podcast hosted by TarHillBlog.com. I'm Chad Floyd, and I'm joined by a man who is on the scene of the crime against the Temple Owls, Al Hood. You're a busy man today. Yes, I am, man. Yes, I am. On the road, heading over to uh, to Mount St. Mary's basketball game, and uh, just uh, still trying to enjoy that the wonderful beatdown that we just witnessed. Yeah, so I was not able to get a hold of you uh, basically after you sent a picture from the tailgate. But uh, what what was the scene like? Um, you know, from a standpoint of how was Navy's campus, and then just uh, inside the stadium. You know, what what was the crowd composition, all that. So, crowd-wise, outside the stadium, it was actually pretty enjoyable. Uh, Tailgating was in full force on both sides. Uh, Definitely a lot of fans out there enjoying themselves. And then they had a set-aside area with sort of a private uh, uh, area, you know, drinks. uh, All bands came in. They played. uh, With it being the military bowl, multiple military items on display. Um, Sent uh, sent the group a picture of uh, one of in our party uh, enjoying – being able to hold a machine gun, uh, they're holding a bazooka. Uh, so you know, people, alcohol, weapons. It was a great, it was a great time. And then um, before that, uh, they had a parade, uh, which was really cool. Both fans, uh, both teams, uh, both mascots. A lot of small town high schools um, in, in the area. So kind of bringing a kind of bringing a bit of a small town feel to to Annapolis. Uh, and then inside the stadium, uh, folks saw it on TV. You saw it wasn't a sellout. Uh, definitely more Carolina fans there than Temple. Uh, the ones that were there were loud, and uh, for obvious reasons, they had a they had a good time. Everybody there really enjoyed themselves. Um, Navy Stadium is a good one for this type of event. Uh, it's very it's small, uh, easy to get in and out of. Um, Great flight lines up, uh, up, down, and low. Uh, we were in the. I was sitting down low near the goal line. Had a good view of just about everything that happened. Um, it was a, it was a great time, and the players you could tell were just hyped for the game throughout the whole process. They were coming over to the fans and just living it up with them during the whole game. Yeah, you didn't really see it until Carolina started to pour it on the second half. But uh, the whole Carolina side of the stadium, which was not reflected on TV, looked. At least, I mean, in the lower bowl, really full. So, you know, it, it did seem like a good time from that perspective. Um, what was your favorite touchdown that hope, hopefully happened right in front of you? But even if it happened in the opposite end zone, you know, which one of them was it? Because you had seven to the, choose from. The pass, the, the pass to Hal. That one literally happened right in front of me. Um, just to just to see just to see them pour it on that way. Um, to uh, to see the flip. Uh, that they had they had set up in that um, in that formation that, that started in shotgun, switched the players around to where Hal goes under center, and they had, they had been such they had done so many different things out of that set that you were not expecting that reverse um, from uh, it was from Green. Green made that pass to to Hal, right? As uh, um, uh, Rontavius Groves. Gross. Thank you. Um, that was the problem. From our area, it was tough to see the numbers, but like <laughs> the um, but just. Seeing the flip back, seeing the pass, Hal caught it right in front of us, just seeing how happy he was and knowing that the moment he caught that ball, that I mean, it, the game was basically over when the Storm Ducks interception happened. But once that, once that play happened, you just knew it was just, it was 
it was done from that point on. Um, it was fun. I mean, it was right in front of the fans, right in front of the band. Everybody was just, and then just the trip of running essentially a Philly special against a school from Philly, uh, just was like, uh, it was just like icing on the cake. Yeah. And, you know, to get a little bit technical here, you know, like you said, they had run that, uh, formation, uh, three times previous to it. Um, that was the only time that Groves was in there kind of as one of the slot backs, but it was almost like during the bowl practice season, I, I said this to our Slack channel, it was basically like they practiced a new uh, goal line package and it was all set up to run a Philly special, which was exactly what they did. Um, I got to say, Rontavious Groves, uh, to his credit, he can throw against his body really well. I mean, he's a left-handed guy rolling out to his right. That was really nicely done on his part. But just that, you know, and I agree with you, Al, that that was kind of the cathartic icing on the cake where, you know, not only are the heels exercising the demons of the past two seasons, not only are they exercising the demons of, you know, nine really close games at the beginning of the season – this is a team that beat its last three opponents by a combined score of 152 to 30. And it almost felt like they were turning the page to maybe the next step in their progression. Yeah, it really felt like it, you could really feel, especially with that particular play, when they run something like that, that the team was out to make a statement today. They weren't just looking to win this. They were actually looking to make a statement. To, they wanted to play. They prepared to play. They wanted to be out there. They wanted to end their season with the win and maybe on some level, um, you know, make a, make a statement to uh, the fact that maybe they should have been playing a different opponent than, uh, than Temple. But they, I mean, even as, even as rough as the, you don't want to call the first half rough, but I mean, in some ways it was their best first half of the season, but even from the start, you could just see that they, they wanted you know, it's so silly to just say they wanted it today, but like they, you could tell they were, they, after so many years of having Fedora where they would just treat these games and they come out for these games or he had multiple weeks to get ready for, and they would just come out and lay an egg. And it looked like they didn't do a single thing to get ready for it. It was just so refreshing to see a team that said, okay, this is our bowl game. This is our reward. We want to win this. And just see them, the fact that they use the bowl practices to start instituting some new packages, some new plays, and start expanding the playbook a little bit, too. Yeah, and to me, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the last point there where, you know, they got the extra practices and they really did seem to take advantage of them. Because overall, this is a young team. I mean, you're losing maybe five or six contributing seniors off of it. And we'll see what thousand-yard receiver Daz Newsom and hundred tackle man Chaz Surratt do in the coming days. But you're looking at a situation that after the first half of the NC State game, you know, they they came out in the second half. They put 21 points up on the Wolfpack in the third quarter. And it was almost like all of a sudden they realized, hey, we can go ahead and put a team away early and this can get a lot more fun. And I think you saw that reflected not, not only in, I mean, how much the team was enjoying themselves, but then really how loose they played in the second half, uh, really only giving up that one screenplay. But. I mean, the defense was dynamite in the second half. They were quite good in the first half as well. They, uh, you know, gave up the one touchdown drive off uh, basically really one big play and then Temple capitalizing on it. But you see a situation where this team's growing in confidence and you almost hate for the season to end at this point because they yeah. were just absolutely excellent. Um, 
Well, I'll tell you the thing that kind of stood. I was going to say the thing that you mentioned the playbook part of it too. Howell scrambling, Howell running, Howell reading the defense and seeing, okay, there isn't a throw there. Oh, wow, the whole, him essentially finally being given the green light to run because it was a bowl game and that if they weren't so afraid of him getting hurt. To me, like I noticed that even in the first half, just the fact that they, they had taken that part, they've added that to his game. And he was almost like he was, he was reminded, just seeing him being able to just do that just for one thing was, you had forgotten, and you com- now you see that you understood why he took so many sacks during the season because they were so scared of him getting hurt, and they told him no matter run is an absolute last resort. Today they were like, okay, today you can run. And it just – Temple clearly did not scout for that because there were several times that he just took off and got a ridiculous game because they just weren't ready for it. Yeah, Mac mentioned that uh, during the halftime interview basically – I think it wasn't Molly McGrath, whoever the sideline reporter was. Um, you know, she she asked him about that in particular. And he said, well, you know, we told Samus the last game of the season, if if you get hurt, it doesn't derail our chances. And he kind of said that with a smirk on his face. But you could tell that, you know, that that's kind of the next evolution in this offense where the quarterback does need to be a part of the running game because if everything else is tied up, you know, generally, you know, you saw it on the big third down conversion and then, the biggest play of the game for me was Carolina's up 7 nothing. They come out first play and they run the zone read and actually let Howell keep, and he picks up 24 yards. Yep. At that point, from that point forward, Temple was a little bit off balance uh, in their run defense. And Temple, you know, I'll, I'll give them credit here. They, they had a very good game plan to stop UNC's running game. They did not really have a counterpunch for Howell being able to take the ball and – that's where you see yeah. three carries for 53 yards and no sacks by the Temple defense come into play. And then that first drive of the that first drive of the second half where they just essentially ended it where they only threw it just a couple of times but they just kept getting chunk plays. You know, you get the short screen uh, to Corrales if I remember correctly, and then it was like four or five straight runs, but each run got significant yardage. Um, to the, and from that point on, you pretty much knew that they were going to have their way. They were going to have the way with that defense for the rest of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of the last thing I'll say about the offense is I really appreciate uh, Phil Longo's tact. So, Al, as you know, we, we had four guys basically on the cusp of a thousand yards at their respective position going into the game. They got Deami Brown over 1,000 yards receiving early in the third quarter. Then they started hitting Daz Newsom on bubble screens to try to get him over 1,000 yards, which they eventually did. He actually eclipsed 1,000 yards on his second ridiculous touchdown catch of the game. Oh, then they started, feeding, they started feeding the beast in Michael Carter, and he finished the season, if these numbers are correct, with 1,003 rushing yards. And at that point, they pulled Carter and – uh, Sam Howell from the game and Antonio Williams capped it off as a fifth year senior with his second touchdown run of the game. So it was almost like they were saying, okay, well, while the game's still somewhat in doubt, let's get the receivers theirs. And then we're just going to pound the rock and get Carter. And then we're going to tribute our seniors. So I, I thought uh, Phil Longo was very tactful in the way he ran up the score. No, absolutely. I mean, you can't accuse. You know, you can't accuse them of trying to deliberately run the score in the fourth quarter because, I mean, if you, uh, we're sitting in the stands and I'm looking at it and I'm just saying, 
you know, you're joking about how looking at the sidelines, waiting for the play, and it's like, what what are you asking for? I mean, is he just yelling, are we running Carter right, left, or to the center this drive? Like, you knew it, it was pretty clear, even in the stands, exactly what they were doing. Um, and the fans gave them just every, – everyone that came off the field when it was clear they were doing it, the fans gave them uh, – just stood up and gave them a motivation. And that's – I mean, that's also stuff that's stuff that endears players to coaches, too. Because that's stuff that, you know, that's we, – we see what you're doing. We see your accomplishments. We're going to w- reward you. We're going to make sure you get your accomplishments. We're going to make sure you get those numbers. Um, and those are little things that players remember, and those are things that endear the football team to their coaches. Yeah, and kind of to take that out into a 30,000-foot view, I mean, this is a team that was 2-9 and nine last year and had absolutely no faith in what they were doing, really, at any point. At this point, you know, basically you you come into the season, you win two close games that, you know, maybe you snuck up on South Carolina and Miami. You took a step back after that, then almost shocked the world against Clemson. And then from there, you know, really it's kind of the Bobby Bowden philosophy of first you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, and then you win big. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this Carolina program's in a position to necessarily win big, you know, 10 or 11 times in 2020. But you can see that progression just as this team evolved. And I I had kind of one of the heartfelt tweet threads, but I just had to thank this coaching staff and this team because it was just an absolutely incredibly fun season to follow. Um, one that I will never forget, you know, I, I, I was not quite old enough to really appreciate 1997 at the time. But really, this one and uh, 2015 are going to go down as probably my top two favorite North Carolina football teams of all time because this team just fought every minute of every game, did not have the depth really to, you know, reasonably expect to win as many games as they did, especially on the defense where you have Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford one and two in snaps by defensive linemen in the country. Um, This is just a team that, really bought in, showed the fight, and, you know, the sky is the limit at this point. Or as we say in Chapel Hill, the ceiling is the roof. So, you know, <laughs> over the over the next eight months, how high are you going to allow your optimism to get? Because I'm afraid to answer that question as host of this podcast. I think I think it's reasonable to expect eight – I think eight or nines is a, nine wins next season is a reasonable expectation. Um, you know, you are losing a couple of key players on defense. You are um, – you know, you do swap out Clemson for Boston College as your Atlantic opponent, but you also have to see UCF and you have to see Auburn next year. Um, you know, that is that's still that's still not an easy schedule. They are they've got recruit they did recruit some depth. Uh, you and Jake went into the deep dive with the class, and there are going to be some bodies that they're going to be able to use. Um, but you know, you don't get that depth and you don't get the, you don't get deep in one recruiting class. It takes year, it takes some time to build that back up. Um, but at the same time, you could see it. The reason for optimism is just seeing how much they added to the offense just in these, in this month, into the two weeks of the ball practice. And, you know, one of the things that I hit on the three things to watch was the red zone, you know, was the Mercer and NC State red zone success, was that an anomaly or 
Um, was it a case where they actually realized it was a weakness of something that they worked on? And you could tell they worked on it. They said, okay, you know what? This is a problem for us. Let's, let's put in a couple of new plays. Let's try what we can to try to get this, see if we can get this, this part buttoned up. So you understand that they're still evolving. They're still moving. And if they keep doing that, there's no reason to at least not be optimistic that they can do that. And then the coastal is still going to be a, the, the coastal is still going to be a garbage fire next year. So eight or nine wins absolutely could get you a coastal, um, a coastal championship to where you get railroaded by Clemson again, but then you basically follow, you follow Virginia's path where that still gets you to the orange bowl. So even if you're only saying eight or nine wins, I don't think it's unreasonable to think about the orange bowl next year. Yeah. And, um, the great David Hale of uh, ESPN had a tweet basically saying that there were eight power five teams that did not get beat by more than a touchdown all year. And the other ones are all playing in the playoff or New Year's six bowls. And basically his point was that, you know, the teams that typically do that win an average of 3.7 games more per year uh, the next season. So he, he has UNC very skeptically at about 10 and a half wins next year. I don't think it's going to happen that way. But no. it's it, but it's a whole hell of a lot of fun to think about it that way. And and you mentioned recruiting, you know, not really being able to change a program overnight. Um, you do look at a situation where Sam Howell is the type of player, absolutely, that can change a program overnight. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think on this podcast, at least, we probably underrated him because it's just such a constant how good he's been. But you look at other uh, true freshmen that were contributing today. Storm Duck had a pick six. Uh, Tamari Fox was in there for much of the game. Don Chapman led the team in tackles with 10. Uh, Chaz Surratt is technically a true freshman just based on the fact that he played quarterback for three years. (laughs) Um, He was first team all ACC as a linebacker. So you do kind of see spots where UNC loses guys and could possibly – you know, at least replicate if, I mean, they're, they're probably not going to improve on Strowbridge and Crawford overnight. Uh, Strowbridge is a probably third or fourth round talent in the draft. Crawford may be the same. Uh, Dominique Ross, another guy that you need to give a shout out to. But they're going to have guys who, you know, basically at this point, they've proven that they can at least teach a guy to do what he needs to do and make an impact, you know, whatever impact that needs to be. But Man, I'm I'm just excited about the future. You know that that that's kind of the long and short of it, and I'm sure we will get into that in more detail because you know I love to talk football uh, over the eight months <laughs> where there's no football happening. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, Jake hit on it on the last podcast too um, when he was talking about the recruiting and the fact that the guy that the coaching staff is actually able to more, more recruit for their system this time better this year than they were last year the other thing to keep in mind too is that now you have a coaching staff that isn't going to be trying to install their scheme now they're getting guys that are back that have learned the scheme and they've actually got a spring where they actually understand it so now they can expand both the offense and the defense and that's going to be important for Bateman too now that they've actually and now that they've understood now they understand some of it um plus how deep the secondary is going to be next year um which is where, you know, where he wants to, where he puts the emphasis on the team um, or on his team. It, you know, there, there are definitely a lot of reasons for optimism, a lot of reasons why you, you, it's tough for folks. Sometimes you overread a bowl game and you get a little too optimistic based on the results of an exhibition game, uh, you know, glorified exhibition game. But 
you know, if you look at this in the totality with how they ended the season with the, you know, with the last two games, with the games that meant something, when their season, the ability to go to a bowl game was on the line. They knew they had to win those last two games and they were going into an NC State team that was their bowl game and they had to win it to go to a bowl game. And then they go face a team that has, has them on tape and has a month to prepare for them uh, and has had their best season in a lot of ways in a long time. Um, you know, just to see how they handled it and how they just completely steamrolled them. You know, it's tough not to, it's tough not to be optimistic. Absolutely, man. Uh, you know, we, we could get a little bit more detailed. Uh, you did remind me that I kind of wanted to touch on Bateman kind of going more base personnel, but that was based on what was Temple was on what Temple was doing. Um, I don't really think we need to talk about Temple too much here in the near future, but you did see a little bit more scheme diversity from Jay Bateman, and that's something that, well, quite frankly, we're going to have eight months to talk about. Um, yeah, Al, I mean, real quick, I was going to go say, ahead. real real quick, um, the thing that I appreciated early on was the fact that uh, you knew that their quarterback was a pocket passer. Bateman knew it was a pocket passer, and it felt like every time in the first half they were getting somebody in his pocket to, to disrupt them, and it was different guys. Sometimes they were sitting in the linebackers. Sometimes they were sitting in the corners. Sometimes they were sitting in safeties. But you could tell that the plan going into this one was to put pressure on him. And if they could make a play or two down the line, fine. But clearly it was, it was, just, it was fun to see that scheme and just how well run it was during it, how well run it was during the game. And we could talk about the bad penalties and all that good stuff, but like from a defensive schematic standpoint, you could see what the plan was. And it was just so heartening to see how well run it was. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe gave us a glimpse into what we're going to see next year. Um, and definitely going to give me something to give me a good excuse to go back and rewatch this game. And I'm excited to do it, man. Um, Al, I don't Absolutely. want to keep you any longer than I have to here. Uh, do you have anything coming to Tar Heel blog during your travels? Or are we just uh, doing the tour of the Northeast uh, College Sports this weekend? No, I will have, uh, you know, as I've done all season, uh, I will have a winners, losers, and honorable mentions for this game. Um, that's going to be a fun one to write. I have a feeling the second column is not going to be a lot of Carolina uh, mentions in there. Um, and then uh, beyond that, you know, it's time to maybe put a capper on the football season and uh, start shifting the basketball and start thinking about, you know, where things stand. And uh, hopefully uh, we're, you know, hopefully they can start to string some together some winnable games here and, you know, get back, uh, get back into the talks of being able to make it to the NCAA tournament. That's about right, man. You you know I've said it privately, so I'll say it publicly. Um, I can't really shift my uh, my focus onto basketball until football's over. So maybe it's time for me to start uh, leaning that way a little bit. I know we have not done a between the banners in quite some time, and for that listener, I apologize. But if you're listening this deep into a don't punt to geo, we definitely appreciate y'all uh, riding it out with us this season. Seven and six right about in line with what everybody at tarheelblog.com predicted because I work with a bunch of geniuses. If you like those geniuses, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, that is the best place to do it. Go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. But until next time, keep it locked. Go Heels. 55-13. That was fun. Thanks, Al.